Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some actual USC football with Dan Weber. It's been a couple of fall camp practices, and Dan and myself, we're both out there. We're going to talk about what we saw and answer all of your questions on the show. If you have any questions for us, drop us an email, and you guys have been doing that because we got a lot of questions. Podcast at USC Football. Dot com is our email address, or you can call us at 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. You can call and leave a voicemail or text us if you would like. We did get a couple texts this week that we will read to you. Um, you're also, if you want to subscribe to the show, we are on iTunes, which is the big, the big one for podcasts, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. You can find us there or Search on any of the uh, podcast platforms. We're on Audio Boom and Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio, Google Play, all of those. So you can uh, get a hold of us fairly easily. You can download the show fairly easily. And we do appreciate you taking some time out of your busy lives to listen to our little show. It's our 10th football season, which is crazy here on the uh, Peristyle Podcast. And we do want to welcome in Dan Weber. He's a beat writer and columnist for USCFootball.com. Hello, Dan. How are you? Very good, very good, and kind of enjoying the day off, uh, which I'm sure the players are too, actually, and uh, it's coming in at the right time because they went hard uh, yesterday, especially, uh, and so, uh, you know, you're not kind of used to seeing them go quite that hard, quite that with that intensity, and uh, that was a great practice yesterday, obviously for the defense, but, uh, but, but, God, I like that. I just, uh, I mean, I thought the defense played better yesterday than maybe any game we saw them all year. I don't know, maybe the, uh, Washington game in there, but, uh, they were, uh, and that's what this team needs. For this team to be a great football team, they really need the defense to step up and, uh, man, they look like they are. They do. It's, uh, um, you know, two game, two practices in, no pads yet. So we'll get some more information. Today is, uh, Tuesday. They have the day off. So we have the day off. Well, not really the day off. We're working, but you know, we don't have to go down to USC and go to practice. Um, but we're obviously talking about the team and everything that we saw. And I think we'll kind of get to some of the storylines from practice, uh, when we answer uh, a bunch of the questions that kind of came in. But before we jump into those, Dan, um, I wanted to thank, our sponsor for the show. They've been doing it for a few months now, and we really appreciate it. Um, Trader Joe's, and they've been uh, great to us. We love going there. If you heard me talk about Trader Joe's on the show before, they just opened a new location, I don't know, uh, 100 yards or something from my house in Hermosa Beach. It's pretty close. Maybe not that close, but it's uh, a quick walk away from my house, and my wife and I like to go there all the time. This is their, uh, now that it's August 2017, it's the 50th anniversary of Trader Joe. So it's cool. It started off, uh, in Pasadena and they've been going across the country. Uh, and there's a brand new one opening up. Uh, it's supposed to be this week. Um, I believe it's August 4th, but there might not, uh, be done in time. I think there's still some things to do. 
but at the new USC Village, which, Dan, I know you've walked by there and checked it out. It's uh, it's pretty special looking. So Trader Joe's, maybe this Friday, or it, it, it might be a few days after that, but they're supposed to open that one a little bit earlier than the actual USC Village. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, I think you could uh, people could incorporate that into their uh, tailgating plans. Uh, you know, hit uh, oh, good hit, idea. Uh, Trader, yeah, hit Trader Joe's and then uh, go to tailgating time. Uh, just, it just seems like it makes a lot of sense. And this is a year you can do a lot of that because there are seven home games, so uh, it all uh, kind of works together here. It does, and uh, let's check it out. So if you haven't been to Trader Joe's. It's everyday shopping kind of stuff if you want to get milk or eggs, butter, bread, things like that. But they also have a lot of uh, more exotic things. There's a, a great beer and wine selection we've talked about before. Uh, the the favorite product that anyone buys there, and we, we get a lot of these meals uh, from Trader Joe's, but the mandarin orange chicken. So we'll get like Indian food one day or Chinese food the other day, and it's cool. It's pretty simple to make, and uh, we love doing it uh, at Trader Joe's, and they've been great to us. So definitely check it out. And I never thought about that then. Yeah, like. It wasn't really great uh, shopping around for if you were to do tailgating options. But, man, right. if you could go over to Trader Joe's and get a bunch of wine and beer and stuff and some snacks and everything, man, that would be awesome to just walk over to campus right from there. Yeah, no need to pack. Just uh, show up uh, and uh, you're ready to go. No, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate University Village into the whole tailgating scene. Uh, it's just, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we don't get to do much of that, unfortunately, because we're pretty much already kind of started to work a little bit before games. But this year, you might really want to try to check out, check some things out, uh, especially with the University of Village. Because the whole tailgating scene is going to be changed because, the, you know, the soccer stadium's going up. Uh, uh, they're making a lot of progress yeah. uh, there where the uh, old, you know, sports arena was. But uh, it's going to have a different kind of a, a look to it, maybe more focused on the, uh, you know, on the campus and the University Village side because there may not be as much room actually right at the, uh, at the, at the Coliseum uh, this year. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> they've taken a lot of the tailgating space away, and I know there have been some fans that are kind of critical of that. Uh, I'm curious to see what the new L.A. Football Club uh, looks like I'm not a big soccer guy, but I mean it's supposed to be really cool. Um, we were talking about a practice with some of the some of the beat writers that follow soccer a little bit more, and that you know they're talking about getting like season tickets and stuff. So it'll be a neat little complex over there. Um, I just a shame that you know there's going to be less uh, tailgating spots, but maybe the University Village, USC Village will have some of the answers for that. But it, I mean, just going just driving by it, it looks pretty special. Uh, so I can't wait to kind of walk through the whole thing and see it open. Yeah, I guess it's one of those, you know, good news, bad news deals. The uh, good news is we have a new stadium with 22,000 really cool seats. The bad news, we're taking 17,000 away from the Coliseum. <laughs> it's like, eh. But don't worry, we don't have enough parking for them anyways. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being sarcastic sometimes uh, every once in a while. Uh, it, it, it maybe doesn't all go together. But the Ver- University Village looks like it's all gone together. I mean, it's one of those places where you say, man, I think they got this. Uh, completely right. This looks really good. I mean, I don't know that there's another, uh, uh, I don't even know what exactly to call it, but I don't know that there's another college in America that has something like University Village. And certainly not in the middle, you know, of a, of a giant city, you know, a mile and a half from 
LA Live and barely out of downtown and all that. It's, it's, uh, there just isn't another place like it. Uh, but, uh, we would suggest that when you come down from one of the seven home games, you, uh, you make your way through, uh, University Village at least once. So, okay, one of the things, we, we mentioned this a little bit with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde. Uh, some more has come out since then. Um, you know, we talked about this on Monday. And uh, kind of what happened at practice yesterday on Monday, uh, you know, what I expected Clay Helton to say, he pretty much said. And, you know, this can be a real politically charged um, subject when you're talking about, you know, Title IX and all this kind of stuff. But I'll read you this question, uh, Eddie from Whittier. We had some other ones, too, but. Um, kind of get your thoughts on everything, Dan. He said, hello, Ryan uh, and Dan. With the news coming out about kicker Matt Bormeister uh, falsely accused, what do you think comes next? It seems to me like USC always goes above and beyond to suspend players and immediately kicks them out. What kind of changes can come after this terrible situation going forward? Thank you and fight on. Uh, Eddie from Whittier. Yeah, Eddie, I mean, I think, it's a bad situation in, in the entire country. Um, the uh, previous administration filed a letter, and I think it was 2011. They sent it to every college in America, and uh, the, the famous Dear Colleague letter from the Department of Education, which basically said, you better set up these kinds of tribunals, that there is a, an epidemic of, you know, sexual assault and, and, there are so many male predators and so many female victims, you know, and one out of, they use that stat that's totally debunked now, but one out of five, you know, women and all that. It, obviously, this is not to put down any sort of, you know, sexual, uh, you know, assault or uh, anything like that. But, uh, but they basically set up procedures which, you know, where the, the person conducting the tribunal at most schools is really the prosecutor, and the prosecutor, you know, is taking a side, and the side is on the side. The side is that of the accuser, and I, I remember going through the, the, you know, the list of all the rules and regulations at USC, and uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't make any distinction about whether there's guilt and innocence, but it was mostly, you know, the victim. They would talk about the victim, the victim. The victim. And you say, wait a minute. You haven't had a, a hearing. You haven't had a determination of the facts. There is no victim until you, you know, have a real, you know, real hearing. And unfortunately, the hearings themselves are really, uh, you know, loaded against the accused. And, and it's happened. I mean, uh, and it's not anything that's, uh, uh, you know, unique to USC. I mean, the, Yale had their best basketball team in, you know, years and years and years, and their captain got kicked off. The, you know, the team missed the, the great the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think he may be suing. A lot of these, uh, you know, uh, situations. The only way for the accused, you know, uh, to to get justice is not through the procedure where they change it, it's not, you know, you're not uh, innocent until guilty, you know, until proven beyond this, you know, reasonable doubt. Uh, it's a preponderance of uh, of the evidence. And if one side that's conducting the hearing is also producing the evidence and all you need is 51-49, you know, they just, uh, it, it's very hard to get through these things uh, uh, unscathed. And then they go get lawyers. And in this case, 
you know, Matt, uh, has a lawyer, uh, out of Washington, D.C., a, a really powerful guy who, who has a national practice in Title IX cases and also as a, as a, as a sports practice. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a good feeling about how this is going to turn out for USC and, uh, and, uh, and Matt's girlfriend who, is not as portrayed, you know, as we were hearing about what happened and, you know, uh, what the evidence was and all, you know, again, this is kind of under the, you know, under the surface because none of this is allowed to be public. But, uh, but based on the two newspaper stories this weekend, uh, it doesn't seem to be exactly what we were hearing was the, the reason, for example, that Matt was immediately you know, banished from uh, campus, out of school, off the team, all of those things. And, and my question had always been to USC was, how did that happen when there were no, there were no criminal charges? There were no, there was no hearing. There was no process like that before he's gone. And how does that happen? And, you know, you got different stories, none of which seem to check out now after you know, what we read in the newspaper and the fact that they both have attorneys and they both feel like they've been uh, damaged by this process. I mean, how you really wonder about a process where the point of it, even though that it's not the, not the way to do it, their point is we have to protect these females on campus. You know, it's, uh, it's just too much is, you know, happening to them. We've got to protect them. And in turn, in, in this case, they are protecting her apparently by saying she's a battered per- woman and she doesn't know what she's saying and she's not telling the truth. And it's like that old line about in Vietnam where you have to burn the village down to save the village. Well, I mean, to attack the, you know, so now they've gone after both people. USC in this case has kind of damaged, uh, both people involved in the case and that can't be the way this was set up to work and uh and i'm sure it's not set up to have a situation where both of them get lawyers and come after usc uh apparently usc doesn't have a very good track record in these cases and uh the title nine people at usc have kind of a reputation that uh, it, it causes people to to want to challenge them, uh, so they don't have any good feelings about this at all. I, I, the new administration, I think, has already set the tone uh, with a new person in the, at the Department of Education and a new person involved in these kinds of cases, where they think they haven't done it yet. You get the sense that they're going to reverse this whole process. Whether the schools will go along with it or not, the political correctness on campus and the, um, you know, the, the just feeling of, you know, females on campus are under siege and, and they have to be protected when, I mean, you know, maybe controversial to say this, but I think the males are in more trouble right now. If you look at the numbers of, of people in, you know, in college, the uh, numbers of males keep, of male, Students keep going down. A number of females keep going up, and uh, uh, it's not a good situation. 
USC is just one, another school. There are a whole lot of schools that have, have this going on, and there are a lot of lawyers involved, and that can't be the way this was supposed to go. And uh, you just hate to see, you know, and again, we don't know the facts. We don't, we're not sure who anybody does. But uh, it, it certainly didn't seem to have turned out uh, very well for anybody involved. Yeah, so uh, Matt Boromeister's girlfriend, Zoe Katz, and I do apologize on the, the Monday podcast, I said she was on the soccer team. She was actually on the tennis team. I, was, I believe the right. captain of the tennis team, so I apologize. Uh, I was wrong. She was a student athlete. I, I, I gave you guys the wrong team on Monday, so I do apologize for that. But her, the statement from her, uh, from it's the Sevens Legal APC a law office, uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty damning where it's just, you know, they basically came up with this, according to the statement, the legal statement, the USC, the compliance, the uh, not compliance, the Title IX office came up with the decision. Uh, he was kicked out of school. He wasn't allowed to rehab his knee. He wasn't allowed to uh, but, go but to he class. He was already kicked out before they went through the process. That's what I don't quite get. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that that we haven't gotten a good answer to. He just disappeared. Yeah, and, and they weren't allowed and, to talk. And, like they and told it went her through into the summer before they got all the appeals done. So apparently he did go. They did go through a process, but it he was gone before they went through the process. That that starts it off in a place where you think, how is that happening? Yeah, and they weren't even allowed to have communication. So it it just really seems set up where I, we don't know and, what and happened. A good, uh, yeah. Stop you right there. Who can do that? Who can tell you you can't talk to apparently now his girlfriend? Yeah. How how is it this is like America, right? right. Can can you really tell can a university say you can't talk to her? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if it becomes some kind of a, you know, stalking, harassing, whatever, you know, you go get a court order. But can a university do that? Um I, I don't know. Uh, right. I and I, I mean, I think the, the spirit of why this was put in place, I think makes sense. I think there was a lot of, uh, violations happening where females were, uh, there were sexual assaults. There was all, all kinds of things going on and they needed some sort of protection. But like, then the argument is, well, did this swing too far where there's no, you know, there's one person that's like a judge, jury, executioner and just says, okay, you're gone. So if you're accused, it's pretty much over for you now. So. Um, we've seen in a lot of different cases where, you know, it's a set, a system that's, you know, ripe for abuse apparently, which, which is terrible because this is, you know, it's trying to do something, you know, positive by, you know, reducing the number of, uh, assaults and sec, you know, sexual assaults going on on campuses. But I don't, I'm not sure if this is the right way. And it's, this is obviously all of above our pay grade, but there's going to be a whole political scheme going on. The more of these that come out, the more lawsuits. Um, it's more than just this one case. There's just been so many of them like this. I don't know what's going to happen going forward. Yeah. And you get amateurs. People really aren't, uh, they're not legal experts. They're not, they don't understand maybe how this all is supposed to work. And you put them on panels and they're on there for a reason because they already believe, you know, that they've got to stop this, this kind of a thing. And, you know, and not to trivialize it, but, there's an awful lot that happens where everybody's drinking too much, okay? And, you know, and they're not even sure what exactly happened. And then a few months later, somebody says, you know what, I think that, or somebody's friend says, you know, I just think that was, that wasn't right. 
and they go and, and file a report. I mean, that's happened over and over and over again. And to try to say, well, let's go back and figure out what happened there. There's this, you can't. I mean, it's just, you know, and that's too bad. But to say that based on the, the, the few tools they have to actually put this stuff together with the people they're trying to do it, and for that you're going to ruin somebody's life, which you don't know really what, you can't possibly know, you know, what happened. Um, it, it just, it, it, it's the wrong way to do it, and it, they're doing it with the wrong people, and uh, they've got to they got to figure it out. And, and if they don't, they're going to be, you know, lawyers are going to keep coming after them. And, and I think I think this uh, this fellow in Washington D.C. USC will probably wish they hadn't had to face him, because uh, he's uh, you know a pretty pretty powerhouse guy. And the fact that he's involved in this case is, is not good for USC. Um, I don't. I've already spent more time than I wanted to on this, but real quick, um, my thought is you're not going to see Matt Boromeister back on the team. I didn't think that was going to change anything. I mean, these lawsuits are going to yeah. be big thing. But I, do you have any different thoughts, Dan? Do you feel differently? Yeah, I, I mean, I, you would think that's some, that's a separate issue. Yeah, I know a lot of fans tie it to that. Can he come back? For example. I mean, I, I don't think since February we've ever indicated that there was any chance he was coming back. And now I know, yeah, the LA Times, after how many months, did a story which said, "Hey, he's not coming back." Well, no, he hasn't been coming back since February. He's gone, you know. And I don't think if you were paying attention, you know, at USCFootball.com, you knew he was gone. He wasn't coming back. And uh, I think that got everything going again, which I think got, you know, uh, the lawyers and people like that involved because then it became a public issue. It certainly got, I think, the Zoe Katz and her family involved because, her, you know, uh, she was involved in, uh, you know, you know, as the you know, so-called victim in the case. And she's his, his girlfriend. And, um, you know, this is, I mean, it, it got to a place that, that I, I think, you know, we kind of had thought it had gone away quietly, whether it was right or wrong. And then it, it got re, you know, it got into the papers again. And now it's, uh, it's probably for sure not going away. Uh, I don't, I don't think at all at this case, but, but in our minds, I think, I don't think you ever, I ever thought the chance he was coming back. Yeah. Uh, but there's some people are saying that now. Reinstate them right away. Like, no, I don't, don't hold your breath. That's not happening. You know, now, can they get some kind of a ruling where if he wanted to come back next year, he could come back next year? Could that be, you know, could there be a settlement like that? I guess you can't ever say, ever say no. And, and clearly, I mean, they're going to be talking about damages to his professional, you know, career chances and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be not, this is not going to be a fun case to defend, I don't think, if I'm USC. But did they say, well, what if we let him, let him come back? But then, you know, after you miss a year and somebody else is doing it for a year, it's just, you know, it's just not an easy, not an easy way to go. Not an easy way to go at all. And, uh, and it's hard now. They're making it harder for kids to transfer if you've got, you know, something on your record so-called uh, and so I, you know it's just it's, it's, a, it's too bad that this has 
happened the way it's happened. And, you know, if, if whatever was going on with those two, uh, if they can work it out, just wish USC hadn't had to be involved with the structure that they were involved with in this whole process. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, talk about some fall camp stuff. That's, uh, I think that's enough on Matt Bormeister. Let's see. Uh, we'll start off with Neil and Manila. We like the international questions. Um, did Ronald Jones lose a step because of the weight he gained or did he maintain the speed as well as gained more strength? And he's referring to, we got to talk to Ronald Jones, uh, yesterday. He said he added about 10 pounds. He said he's faster because he's got the dreadlocks back. Uh, but what are your thoughts on all that, Dan? Yeah, I think he's more explosive. I think the strength has helped him. He looks he looks faster to me. So I I, I wouldn't you know automatically think oh he's a little you know he's ten pounds heavier that means he's probably slower. Most great sprinters tend to be muscular, really thick, strong guys, and when you get that way, you, you're not doing it to get you know to get slowed down. Uh, uh, he basically, right now, he looks like a little bit taller Reggie Bush. Uh, Reggie, most of the time at the end, I think that junior year, he was probably 205 and, uh, wasn't quite as tall as, uh, as Ronald. But, uh, no, I think he can stop and, and push off that, uh, you know, that, that takeoff foot quicker now. Uh, he just, he's just more powerful. And I think he's got a little bit more ability to shed that first guy that maybe gets a hand on him at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but, uh, but he made a move in the spring. He, he was 205 in the spring. I guess, uh, Clay said he was 207, uh, the other day, but he made a move in the spring literally right in front of us where he planted and then, uh, it was maybe 15 yards into the end zone. We got the ball at the, at the sideline and then just, cut up field and it was breathtaking to watch i mean it, it has been since reggie that we've seen somebody that, that could actually do that and again it's obviously you know dangerous to even put somebody in the in the, in the you know the same paragraph with reggie but uh but that's what we're seeing uh just that ability to you know make that cut that powerful just blast and I think he can do it better now at the weight he is now. I, I like the weight he, I like the weight he, where he is now. Let's see. We got, uh, let's see. He says, hello, Trojan fans. First and foremost, I have Time Warner Cable slash Spectrum and I love my Pac-12 network. If you ain't in, switch you networks. You do, huh? <laughs> You're the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. But his real question is, what are your thoughts on special teams in the first few practices? I know everyone loves offense and defense and Everyone loves offense and defense wins championships, but special teams are very important uh, to the game. Fight on. And I didn't write it down his name, so I apologize for that. Uh, I think what I like about special teams is uh, a team that has more good athletes, more guys who really want to get on the field, more guys who can run and block and tackle and knock people down. And uh, just yesterday, watching them put – uh, Marlon Tuipulitu and then, uh, Jay Tufele back, you know, as the, like, two person, not the personal protectors, but the, the two blockers in front of the, uh, uh, uh from the, uh, the kickoff return guy. And those guys, 
you know, very often you, you got tight ends or, you know, fullbacks or people like that. And here they, they're putting out these one 305 and one 307, uh, freshman defensive linemen to run and, and locate somebody and, and just absolutely run over them. And that's what you're seeing more of, of you just got more, more bodies, more athletes, more young guys who would like to be on the field. So, so I think that's a plus. How, as far as the kickers, uh, you know, you got two guys, you know, with the Chase McGrath, the, uh, you know, preferred walk on for modern day and, uh, and Michael Brown. Uh, I think both of them are going to have to work to, to get to that point. Uh, I think there is a little bit of, uh, you know, realizing, okay, I'm the guy. One of them is going to be the guy. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, does one of them, uh, become the kickoff guy? Uh, does the same guy win both jobs? Uh, I think the, the thing that was so underrated with Matt Bormeister last year was the ability to drive the ball into the end zone. For example, when they would score at the end against uh, Penn State, and then Bormeister comes up and, and drills the thing into the end zone, and you don't get a return, and, you know, you don't get a chance to maybe, you know, uh, for Penn State to get, you know, some better field position. That was really important. That was, uh, and so, and I know, uh, you know, Michael Brown has a really good history of doing that in high school, and we haven't gotten to see him do a lot of kickoffs, for example. So we don't know. I don't think we, we understand. With Chris Tilby, you're gonna, you're gonna see, uh, uh, you know, the same punters last year. Now, they were doing some neat things with, uh, he's a right-handed, right, right-legged punter, uh, right-footed, and, a rugby guy, if you want him to, they've very seldom done that. But they were doing something really neat with uh, the the other putter, Budarich. He's a lefty, and they were doing some really neat stuff with uh, Tilby going right and rugby rugby kicking it diagonally to the far corner, and then Reed Budarich went left and he diagonally kicked it over to the right corner. I really like that. If they can, you know, perfect that. Uh, and they can, you know, avoid kicking, you know, a line drive or a one hopper that some guy picks off, you know, 35 yards down the field and, and, and brings it back quickly. Uh, those are some, that would be a great weapon if you can do that because you know where he's kicking it. The, the defense doesn't. And if you can kick it across the field. So they, there may be some ways that, you know, that they can, uh, even without, uh, Bormeister, uh, that they can now that they've got a new snapper, uh, Damon Johnson, and uh, I don't know Zach Smith was perfect for four years, so not sure you can improve on that. Not, not, he just was as good as you know was as good as it gets. Wyatt Schmidt, maybe the holder, who obviously is just about as important on that Rose Bowl field goal as anybody in pro- involved in that process. You know, you got the snapper. Snapper and the kicker are gone. You got the holder, and that helps to have a, a you know, a veteran and a kind of a leader, who which Wyatt uh, Smith is. Uh, but I think that there's a chance with the the number of good athletes in terms of coverage, in terms of uh, kick blockers and things like that, uh, that they've got a chance to be pretty good. Uh, I just think if you've got a bunch of good athletes that can run and and hit people. You've got a chance uh, in terms of the uh, place kicker to be determined. 
uh, at this point. Let's go to Mike in Irvine. He said, on last week's podcast, Keeley mentioned how this year we do not have a superstar wide receiver waiting in the wings, uh, like a five-star who comes in and plays as a freshman. Uh, Deontay Burnett deserves more love, of course, but let's look at the rest for now. So what about Joseph Lewis as that receiver that turns into the superstar? Thanks, Mike and Irvine. And sorry, we didn't have Keely on this week, but uh, she's she's doing a lot of moving. We're just kind of getting everything settled, so we'll we'll get her on more later on. Yeah, I think one of the things with with you know Joseph Lewis and Randall Grimes, the two freshmen, is they don't stand out because they've got a whole bunch of guys that you know in front of them that are redshirt freshmen. You know, the Joshua Monterbebe and Tyler Vaughns and you know Velas Jones, those guys who are all right there and and you got you know jalen green and uh uh you got guys that are you know look at us too so i don't think it'll be quite as easy as much talent as uh as you know joseph and randall bring to the table uh in terms of just standing out from the rest of those guys i don't know that you're going to be able to just because you know the rest of those guys are are pretty, uh, you know, pretty talented and pretty much, you know, thinking we're ready to go. I think one of the good things of the way that the defense is coming after them is it may help you find out sooner rather than later who is that guy or that next guy. Michael Pittman, I didn't mention him because he didn't redshirt last year, but he was talking yesterday about, uh, uh, you know, I asked him about his freshman year and did you count yourself as a second year guy or First, you know, year and a half guy, or you got to play some, but he said, I don't even want to think about last year. He wasn't happy. To, he didn't, you know, he, he thought he should have been able to not, he should have gotten more of a chance, but he thought he should have performed more to, uh, to his standards. So he's, uh, you know, considering himself as, uh, kind of one of the young guys who, uh, is getting a, a real first chance, but, uh, they're just the numbers make it hard for any one guy to say, oh, you know, or for us even to say, look at that guy, because there are just a whole, you know, a whole lot of them. But, uh, I mean, we got four and a half more weeks to go, and we'll see who who does, uh, you know, make that kind of impact. Or is it going to be a case of they're all just going to play, and they're just going to shuffle them, shuffle them in and out, and uh, hopefully there are enough plays and enough, you know, opportunities for all of them. I, I don't know. But uh, but they better be ready because this defense is not giving them any breathing room at all. I mean, this, this defense is uh, uh, the way they're pushing them, the way they're coaching them, the way they're pushing them, the way they're one another on defense are pushing one another. They've been doing that all summer. But, uh, but when it's obvious, you better not be in the wrong place. You better not – I mean – it so doesn't look like last fall when, you know, well, sometimes I'll be in the right place. Sometimes I maybe won't. We'll see what happens. No, that's not happening at all. You, you better be in the right place or you won't be there and somebody's going to tell you. And, uh, it's a, it's kind of a different sense about, you know, the defense. It just has a whole different feel about it. All right, let's uh, move on. Anthony, he says, just a quick question and comment. First off, Dan, a player like Jalen Green, who's experienced enough and has the skill set of a former quarterback, can be very valuable, but I feel he's got a lot of talent in these young receivers, too, to push him 
uh, out for his playing time. Do you think that he contributes about the same this season as he did last year or more? Fight on. Thanks as always, Anthony in LA. Yeah, I think more. I think they really, they look to his, uh, his, uh, you know, experience, his toughness, his leadership, his, uh, he's calm under pressure. Uh, he's got a lot of, you know, physical skills. He's just a tough kid. He's, uh, he doesn't seem, you know, ever the moment is too big for him. Uh, he's, uh, he's a comforting guy. I mean, Darius Rogers was that guy last year, I think. Uh, I think he's, you know, a guy that they're just going to depend on, uh, as a, you know, as a veteran athlete who's got a, 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 a multiple skill set. And, uh, I, I don't think it'll surprise anybody where he's throwing, you know, some flanker passes. Um, you know, I don't know if it'd surprise anybody if he lines up at Wildcat. Uh, you know, not that we see that, but I just think they really feel good about him in terms of, you know, all the things that he can bring and the fact that he's been a quarterback and he, you know, he, he can run the ball, he can catch it. Uh, He's uh he's a tough kid. He's a he's a just a good athlete. Um, uh, yeah, he will he'll get more of a chance. All right, uh, Tarek has a quick one. Do you see Joseph Lewis playing this year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I he's just you know he's just too good. It's just a matter of how do you divide up all those wide receiver spots. Uh, there are a lot of them. I mean, you know. I, Clay was talking yesterday about his ideal game was 80 plays, 40 runs, 40 passes. Um, my ideal game would be 90 plays. I'd like to see, you know, 45 and 45. I'd like to see a few more. And, uh, and, and, and part of the reason would be, uh, to really get all of those, uh, all of those receivers in the game. I really, you know, get them all opportunities, uh, you know, to catch the ball and grow up and have a, have a really good year, but uh, but yeah, I think I think you have to count on him as uh, as somebody that you know. I think uh, his advantage is he's probably you know two hundred ten pounds, six two two ten. That's uh, that's a nice uh, that's a nice way to come in as a freshman. You know, he doesn't look like a freshman. No, he doesn't. He looks uh, he looks like he's been around there for a while. Um... Let's see, Dan, class of 1962, he said, My compliments to Dan Weber for sharing his uh, biographical information on the podcast so that we can get to know more about his rich sports back- background. Uh, it was great learning that he went to Xavier because I have a grandson who will be a freshman there this year. Keeley also sounds like a great addition. Also great to have Trader Joe's as a sponsor because living in Idaho, I miss the Trader Joe's radio spots that are played on Los Angeles and other large market stations. We're fortunate to have a Trader Joe's in Boise. Uh, my question for Dan is, uh, what are your memories of John McKay? In my estimation, Coach McKay was one of the greatest coaches in college football history. And even Coach Bryant, who was Coach McKay's good friend, acknowledged how much he learned from him. And, of course, Coach Bryant thanked Coach McKay for helping him integrate Alabama football. Thanks for fight on. Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, I, I think most of mine were – reading about him and even in books it was more a case because you know everybody wasn't on television and i'm growing up back in the midwest and i had you know images of tailback you 
and you, you know the game would come on and you'd see the uh, card section or you'd see you know the sunshine and you'd see the you know the, the running backs and I was almost as impressed at USC by the big uh, tackles tackles that could run tackles that weren't you know uh, you know had uh, kind of lean waisted tackles that you know looked like they were real athletes and not just big blocks that we tended to have in the Midwest and so that's kind of what and it just seemed like uh, you know I, I remember he would have I think he had a little bit of rolled up uh, you know khaki pants too like uh, like Joe Paterno and the White Sox and the the black uh, the black coach's shoes and his sense of humor. I mean, I remember the funny things he would say and just the you know the when they'd ask whoever they I can't even remember was it OJ or how how many times can he carry you know how you know can he carry the ball that much you know however many times he had him carry it one game and he said why it's not heavy is it you know I mean it was like just hear that that was the guy that I remember because I don't remember another coach quite like him that had that that ability to to just say stuff that that maybe nobody else could get away with and he could get away with it and you got a sense that he was a he was a tough guy and uh and he didn't seem very l a like he seemed more like and of course he was from West Virginia by way of Oregon in World War Two, after World War Two. So he was he wasn't exactly, you know, a, an LA guy, but he was, you know, at an LA program. But uh you know, I I grew up in you know, growing up in Kentucky, you knew more about Bear Bryant, who got his start at Kentucky, but was still, you know, part of the Southeastern Conference. So you knew some of about Coach McKay through what you knew about uh Coach Bryant. So, uh, you know, that was always, you know, kind of a positive for Coach McKay with, uh, you know, you know, the friendship. Uh, I do remember first time I saw something in the paper that made me pay attention was there was a story about, uh, Pat Hayden and John, J.K. McKay, high school All-America teammates, you know, and, Pat Hayden, uh, having moved into the, into John McKay's home for his senior year, I think his family had moved to New York or wherever. And I remember, cause they ran a, a picture in the Cincinnati Enquirer of those guys and, you know, the blonde hair and the, you know, whatever. And it was like very seldom did you ever see a high school, high school picture, you know, photo, uh, from somewhere else in the country. I mean, it was just, they just didn't do that back then but i do remember that might have been my first uh sort of paying attention to you know to coach mckay i thought well that's a probably pretty good deal to have, <laughs> have your future quarterback living with you and your future <laughs> wide receiver also as your son it just seemed like ah he's got got things working for him there that you guys see he certainly did um Let's go. Let's go to Mark in Crown City. He said, it's great to hear from the high energy, enthusiasm, and expectations finally uh, taking form with the start of fall camp practice. Uh, question, 
Uh, given your years of experience with the Trojan football program, is the quality of the first fall practice reported by Dan and Keeley in Saturday's instant analysis segment any indication this program is now fully uh, reflective of Coach Helton's personality, influence, and expectations? I don't recall any previous coverage over the past several years, which indicated such a sense of confidence the team now appears to reflect in its maturity, quiet confidence, and three uh, deep quality rotation at most positions. Dan Akili also commented specifically on the physical and mental attributes of the incoming freshman class, fitting in as if they were veterans. Uh, another first in recent memory, thanks uh, for both of you for your insights. Fight on, Mark from Crown City. Yeah, Mark, uh, I don't think I, and I've told people this, I don't think I remember a freshman class that had the look that this freshman class has. I mean, they've had some great freshman classes. Uh, I think the physicality, I mean, uh, you know, your safeties are 6'3 and 6'4. You know, those, uh, those three defensive linemen, uh, uh, Marlon and Jay and, uh, and Brandon Peely comes in at 340 and, you know, can tomahawk dunk a basketball apparently. And just, uh, you know, there are just, there are ways in which you look at them and you just think, man, I don't know that I've exactly seen one like this. And I think they're doing a better job in the summer in the player run practices, even though there aren't as many of them and, uh, and getting them up to speed on, on all the, uh, you know, all the language that, you know, every, all the terminology. Uh, and there's more teaching going on in the summer than, than we've ever seen before. And, uh, so, I think it obviously got them off to a faster start. The fact that they've got more, uh, there are more guys who can really play. I mean, they've had, you know, similar numbers, not numbers as top scholarship players, but, uh, uh, they get more reps in at practice. I mean, the three deep, again, we've never seen three deep. I mean, I'm not even sure, even in Pete's time, we saw many three deep, uh, where they legitimately, you know, had, had, Pretty much, uh, you know, every position, you know, filled on on the three deep. Uh, that's just something, again, that's taken, you know, some getting used to. Uh, and I just think, you know, it does reflect uh, Coach Elton and his personality. I think his personality was trying to find itself at the start of last year, and there are all the things going on. You had a new a new a new staff. And you had players not, you had some, a lot of veterans, but they'd gone through, I mean, you know, your offensive linemen were, had five, you know, Zach Banner had five different offensive line coaches and that kind of thing. So they, you know, it took them a month, obviously, as we all know, and they played a couple of teams that they weren't ready to play. And, um, and I think that really helped Clay figure out what's important. How do we do it? How do we get it done? Practice clearly became, you know, the thing. You know, we got to get it right in practice. And it made it you focus on everything that you're doing has to be exactly what you need to be doing and um, how you're doing it and what kind of standard you're going to hold everybody to. And it worked. I mean, it, it clearly got them pointed in the right direction to the point where those kids really believe what they're doing is the right thing to do it to do. And the last time that happened was 
you know, the peak times where those kids, you know, that those teams felt like we're we're going to play harder than you are, we're going to play smarter than you are, uh, we've got better athletes than you are, and when push comes to shove, we're going to win. And it was a confidence, but not the kind of confidence that, that leads to necessarily overconfidence, but the confidence that, you know, at the end of the Rose Bowl, hey, we're still in this. We're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. Things are going to work out, and there's no panic. And uh, so that's a, I think that's a big part of Clay's personality. I was pretty amazed watching the end of the Rose Bowl at, at the calmness on the sidelines. It was, you know, and it helps to have Sam who, you know, has that same sort of calmness. But, uh, but yeah, I think this team is very much uh, uh, Clay Helton's personality at this point, very much so. Yeah, hard to argue against that. Um, let's see, Dominic in uh, Notre Dame country, he's in South Bend, he said the 2000, 2017 USC football season is nearing. With every Saturday and with every day, the excitement level of Trojan fans grows. One aspect of the 2017 team that has me particularly excited is the depth at running back. The depth at running back this year is as deep as I can, I have ever seen it with Ronald Jones, Akasedric Ware, Dominic Davis, Vivian Malapiai, Stephen Carr. What do you think, who do you think should get the bulk of the carries? And if you had to place them in a depth chart, how would you rank them one through five? Best regards, Dominic and South Bend. You know, I, I mean, I think it, they're smart. Clay's not going to do the depth chart for, uh, what is it, 17 more practices? Something like that. Three more weeks. And, and I think that's the way it ought to, ought to play out. Uh, I, I do think you can't not have Ronald, you know, at number one. You probably have Aka Cedric at number two. Uh, this is based on where they are this minute. Um, you've got Vavai, who somebody asked to land McCullough about Vavai, you know, and, uh, he said, heck, he was probably our best back in the spring. Now, obviously, you had injuries with the first two. So, uh, uh, but, you know, he hasn't shown anything other than he's ready to play. And Stephen Carr, they all talk about Stephen and, and man, you know, he can do, he can do a whole lot of things and he doesn't look like a freshman. So there you got four already. I mean, again, that's a reason why you'd like to see him be able to run 90 plays. And Clay yesterday did say that he would not be averse to say Ronald getting 25 carries. But then if you've got, you know, 15 or 20 more, uh, you know, you can divide those up pretty nicely. Uh, I'd be surprised if, if you see anybody who gets 25 carries, you know, a game, but if you get somebody with 20 and you split up the other, you know, 20 or 25. Um, I mean, I think, I think the first, you, you've got four that, that, you know, and then, I mean, let's say that James Tolan went from a walk on to a scholarship guy and he's never going to embarrass you when he goes in the game. And, and, and then you got Dominic Davis and, they're truly trying hard to, you know, find ways to, you know, get the ball to him. So, uh, they, uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, just because, uh, I think Coach uh, McCullough has a different approach, uh, to things. And, uh, I'll be really interested in, uh, in seeing how that plays out. I'm mean, just going to be, he's had such success, you know, at Indiana year after year after year, you know, it just gets, 
guys that just, you know, are doing a great job. Uh, and maybe not behind, you know, the greatest offensive line, but, uh, but his, uh, his productivity with his players at Indiana has been just, been terrific. So, uh, kind of can't wait to see how the run game works. I'm, I'm real, I'm real intrigued by, uh, by how they're gonna, how they're gonna attack people in the run game. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to Lamar. He said, Hey, Ryan, I watched the USC Rose Bowl at least five times. And other than our defensive ends and outside linebacker, or I'm sorry, offensive line, not being able to contain the edge, the most glorifying weakness throughout the game was the play of Jack Jones. I understand that he's a young and raw, but he didn't possess any type of ball skills and his tendency to lock into the backfield on several occasions. He looked lost and Penn State targeted him due to his inability to track the receiver. Ball skills are something you can't teach. A good corner must have those instincts, and I think he'd be better suited on the offensive side of the ball. He's very athletic. Let me know what you think, Lamar in the high desert. See, I don't consider ball skills as, you know, tracking receivers. Uh, I mean, he's got great ball skills in terms of, you know, the hand-eye coordination and uh, and actually when he gets his hand on the ball, uh, he's really good. He's good in the air. Uh, so I think his ball skills are, are really good. I mean, he has a tendency, uh, Jack does, to really wants to make a play. And he may have, have had a tendency to want to, uh, you know, commit before the play has been read, before he really knows where the play is going. I think that, that initial, I'm going to commit now. And I think, you know, Penn State presented some problems that they hadn't seen. They really had not seen a team that could throw the ball deep. Uh, and Penn State, you know, as much as you say, well, that's what they did all year. And they did. And they did it against almost everybody. Uh, I think it was hard for, you know, if you don't see teams, you know, you see a lot of teams that, you know, throw the ball a lot, but throw the ball quick and throw the ball here or there. But not that you just don't see teams that, that, that throw the ball deep. So, I think uh, uh, Jack got left on an island or left himself on an island a little bit at time because he really wanted to come up. And, you know, Penn State, you got a running quarterback, very athletic, and then you got the best, obviously the best running back in the country. And so if you're a freshman in a game like that, you can probably uh, maybe predetermine some things and you're coming up. Uh, but I think that might be really too harsh. On him, he's he's already Jack's already made the best play of of the you know two practices, but uh, uh, his one interception, uh, you know, climbing the back of uh, gosh, who was that? Was that Tyler Vaughn? Yeah, Tyler Vaughn. I think it was. Yeah, on the deep deep ball, uh, you can't play it any better than that. I mean, he just absolutely cannot uh, you know make a better play than that. So I would uh, I'd probably hold my fire. Uh, on Jack. Uh, I mean, I think he could be a really good offensive player too, but I would hold my, hold my fire and let's, let's see how this develops. He was a true freshman, uh, and a very eager freshman who wanted to really, uh, you know, make a play and doesn't always work out, but that doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever. I mean, that's what it, that's why you, you know, that's why you go to college. That's why you have coaches. That's why you practice to get better and just because you did it once doesn't mean you're going to do it you know forever you gotta 
If you if you're around this game, you got to believe in the perfectibility of of doing things better, and that that you can get there. Uh, you just don't want to consign somebody. Well, you made a mistake last year, or you couldn't do this last year. You're never going to be able to do it. Uh, I just I don't I, I don't I don't go with that. We see these, you know, young guys come in, and man, it's such a difference. They were so far and away the best player in high school. You know that they ever played. Nobody they ever played against was anywhere near as good as they are, and now they're surrounded by guys who are as good as they are, and they're playing against guys who are as good as they are. That's a big adjustment, a big mental and physical adjustment. So I think uh, I think I would hold all uh, judgments like that about freshmen. I, I really would. Well, you know, second camp, see how how this goes, but. Uh, but uh, I would uh, I'd back off a little bit. Let's see. Let's go to um, I guess we'll go to Clayton. He said, "Thanks very much for keeping the Trojan family well informed of all things USC football." Uh, I saw an article about a study that was done where they examined 111 brains of ex NFL players, and all but one were diagnosed with uh, diagnosed post post mortem with chronic traumatic, and then it's. Ancilla, I don't know. It's E N C E P H A L O P H Y. Is the U.S. Encephalopathy? Yeah, basically brain disease. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And he said, "Is the USC athletic program currently doing anything to help protect its student athletes from chronic disease later on in life? Do you know of any protocol the school or Pac-12 has adopted to avoid future problems of these?" Students, thanks, Clayton from Santa Clara, class of 2011. Yeah, Clayton. I mean, I would caution on the the statistics. Uh, those were self-selected. Those were the reason those studies were done on those brains. Were those were athletes or families who had decided that their loved one had the CTE. They, I mean, they decided this is a person who has shown all the symptoms of, uh, you know, the chronic, uh, you know, traumatic encephalopathy. And, uh, so it was as you would expect. I mean, those were people who played, you know, at a time when I don't think anybody understood, uh, or at least for a lot of them, but people didn't really understand the, you know, the repetitive, uh, uh, you know, head trauma and what it could do. Uh, so I don't know that it, it translates and say, well, then everybody is going to get it. No, uh, that doesn't, that's not what it says at all. I thought the one thing I thought was more interesting was that, uh, uh, how many of the line, how many of them were linemen? And what, what that tells me is it's more the repetitive daily over and over and over. It's not maybe, as much as, you know, we thought with Junior Seau with the big hitting linebacker, but the linemen, it's very hard. I mean, how do you, how are you a lineman and not hitting with your helmet essentially every play? That's the, I think the biggest issue that we got. I, I mean, I think they're going to be doing more of the teaching of the rugby tackling. Uh, I mean, I think Pete Carroll has done a lot to, uh, promote that and it's safer it's better tackling and it's certainly safer than the person doing the tackling and the, you know the person being hit and so i think you'll see football evolve much more to that model i'm not sure 
how you evolve the uh, the line play to you know keep from the repetitive you know head trauma. I mean they've got. I mean the issue with football has always been the more uh, the more you protect them, the better. You know they came in first. You know they have the leather helmets and then with padding. And then they came with the uh, suspension helmet, the Riddell helmet, where you, you know, suspended the, you know, the head was kind of, you know, suspended. It wasn't padding and in a uh, plastic shell. And then they came up with the really, you know, elaborate face mask. Well, at that point, you know, guys were almost feeling like, uh, you know, they're in, in invulnerable. And that actually has probably caused more problems than, you know, that it's helped, uh, and they've got to figure out, I think, some way to take the head out of it. There's no, there's just no question. It'll, it's gonna have to happen. Uh, and I know they're doing all sorts of, you know, regimens in terms of, uh, you know, uh, determining, uh, about concussions and having somebody, you know, in the press box and, and cameras that, that, you know, keep track and the doctors are so aware of, uh, you know, concussion syndrome and, you know, that there's a whole protocol that you have to go through and guys don't come back. I mean, and this is since my time covering USC football. It's really changed, uh, cause you would see guys, well, obviously a lot's changed. We used to get to go to the locker room after the game and you don't see that anymore, but, uh, you would see guys in there who, who really didn't quite know where they were or were, who you were. And it took them a while, you know, to get some focus back after games and all that. You don't, you don't see that as much anymore. I mean, I think they really are, you know, on the lookout. They're gonna, they're gonna have to. It's for self, you know, for self-preservation. If you want football to be around, you're going to have to figure out how to do this, you know, without the, uh, you know, the repetitive, uh, you know, brain trauma. It's just, uh, you know, I don't know that there's ever gonna be a, a helmet technologically advanced enough to, uh, you know, prevent brain trauma if guys, you know, keep drilling people, you know, with the tops of their heads. It's just, it's just not possible. So I think the game's going to evolve a little bit. Uh, still not sure about the blocking thing. And, you know, those guys are out there blocking one another, you know, every uh every day and uh that may be the one place that they're going to have to come up with something that's really you know smart and innovative as to uh how do you do that and i i'm not absolutely and maybe the technology will help there because those guys aren't going full speed and they're not you know just crashing into one another you know helmet first it's just a matter of you know exploding into the defensive guy who's right there but uh but that to me is the the, the biggest issue that, that I think football is gonna have with the uh with the chronic uh you know uh head injuries. We got one last one for you, Dan. We're already at the hour mark, so we'll try to wrap this up. But okay. Steve in Carmel Valley, uh that's in San Diego, he said, Love the podcast. Thank you for what you do. Well thank you for listening, Steve. Uh I have a question for Dan Weber. Dan, do you uh, have you heard the story of the frog who has dropped into a pot of warm water. The heat is gradually turned up, and the frog doesn't jump out and eventually dies when the water gets hotter and hotter and reaches a boil. I think the actual thing is, um, uh, it's not like a proverb, but it's uh, if you drop a, a frog into boiling water, it'll jump out. But if you put it into right. 
warm water and so like it won't it doesn't realize it um right. he said i'm afraid yep. US- that, that, uh, that applies to a whole lot of things yeah that, that I think, works uh, in a lot of situations yeah i think it's, that's his point here he says i'm afraid so USC where is-, is he going with this okay. <laughs> i'm afraid usc is in danger of becoming the frog i see a number of significant problems with the usc program that no one is addressing and i'm worried that these things are going to add up and eventually put the football program in serious trouble uh, the items include the failure of USC administration to confront the NCAA and defend itself against the egregious sanctions in 2010. Next, the horrible TV contract with the Pac-12 network that put USC at a disadvantage of hundreds of millions of dollars in TV revenue versus many teams in the country, namely the Big Ten and SEC, not to mention the inequality of revenue sharing within the Pac-12. Lastly, uh, the Coliseum renovation and reseeding fiasco, which is alienating thousands of loyal, dedicated fans and squandering a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to create a world-class college football experience. I'm worried all of these things are slowly killing USC, and no one is doing anything about it. Dan, what are your thoughts? Can Lin Swan be the hero who scoops the frog out before it's too late? Thank you, and fight on, Stephen Carmel Valley. Well... I mean, I can't say I, I disagree with any of your, uh, your, you know, your major points in terms of, I mean, somehow somebody's looking out for USC. Cause when you, USC has so many advantages as we've even, you know, talked about here tonight. There are so, there's so much going in USC's favor with between its history and its location. And the way the school itself, you know, in terms of academics and, you know, the, I mean, you know, it's the anchor of the Figaro Corridor, which people say is the, you know, there are, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of what the, uh, there was a uh, magazine that does urban studies, says that's the most significant private uh, urban development in the last 25 years is the Figaro Corridor. And that's because of USC. So USC has so many natural advantages. Um, I mean, look where they are today. I mean, uh, you know, challenging. I mean, there are an awful lot of people who think, wait a minute, USC's back? How'd that happen? You know, didn't they just have to fire two coaches in three seasons? In the middle of the season? Who does that? And here they are, you know? I mean, it's like, USC has some things going for it that you just can't take. You can't take away the history. There's no way you can. You know, you can't take away the most, you know, first-round draft picks, the most draft picks overall, the most Hall of Famer, uh, that kind of thing. It's just, that's so they got a lot going. I mean, you know, the school, uh, the you know, the improvement in the school, the campus, all of the things they got going for them. So they're a little bit insulated. But you're right. Those things are going to add up. I, I think the Coliseum is the one they really better be be worried about. I, I think that he hasn't gotten here yet. But um, you know, if they if they go down the path and they put themselves in a place where they can't recover from, and you know, you become one of these uh, you know like Soldier Field in Chicago where everybody you're a laughing stock, and they just think, well, how could anybody have done that? Uh, you don't want to go there and you don't want to take yourself out of the possibility of hosting really big games, uh, with the 90 some thousand crowds and all of that. So, I mean, that, 
that could be because I think the co- the the uh, conference thing is going to take care of itself. I think the I don't care whether you've got good leadership or not. I think you know, the way television is going to change and the way uh, you know people are going to access games and all of that. Uh, there's no way there's another contract deal where USC is going to share revenue equally with Oregon State and Washington State. It's just not going to happen. The TVs won't let it. Uh, the market won't won't allow it. The market's going to demand something different. So, uh, so I think that may solve itself. It would be nice to have real strong leadership from USC pointing, in, you know, in the right direction. Uh, the Coliseum thing worries me. On top of the other things, uh, that one would be, I think, the hardest to resolve. I, I still, you know, have a plan in mind if they go ahead and do what they're doing, that they could still rectify it to some extent. But uh, you don't want them to, to have to do that. But uh, but that's a good analogy. And, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of people at USC that I don't think they exactly see the some of the, the things over the horizon. And they're coming fast. And you wish, uh, you know, a school that, that you know, and, Certain areas looks like it's on the on the cutting edge, and then you see, you know, what happened obviously with the medical school dean and all that, and you think, what the? How did that happen? Uh, it's an interesting place. Uh, and football, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting situation. For example, you can get you can decide in the third quarter or the fourth quarter at Arizona State that the football has to go, and before he gets into the terminal in L.A. He's gone, and yet you've got other situations with people running programs that where they just seem to linger on and on and on, and they can't, you know, quite make the make the decision. Um, so all we can do is try to put what you were just saying out there as much as we can, for, you know, so they're in a place where they can make a good decision. Problem is, as, it, as with the Coliseum, we're not quite sure always who's making the decision, or is anybody making the decision? Is it just kind of happening? And uh, that's uh, that's the challenge for USC at this point. But if people like you keep, you know, calling them and telling them and writing them and and telling them what you're thinking, uh, can't hurt. I mean, Lin, Lin Swan, he'll probably read, if you send him a letter, he'll probably read it. Yeah. Um, I, that's why people, like, write into us and complain all the time. But you really should bring it to the school. Like, that's, that's you know, we talk about it, but, you know, you want to bring it to school or that can actually hear from you directly. I think that helps. Write a letter, email, call, whatever you got to do. Um, all right. Well, Dan, long show. Got a lot of good stuff in there. We'll be back out of practice again tomorrow. But thanks for uh, coming on and answering all the questions. A lot of good ones today. Yeah, a lot of questions. And uh, uh, football, from now on, we'll go football, football, football. Uh, we'll forget the, forget the rest of it. Yeah, we'll do lots and lots of football. So it's we'll football time. We'll put that time. behind us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. We're both with uscfootball.com. Make sure you check out the site. Lots of content. Going up there, we put up a ton of stuff after each and every practice, and there's going to be a lot of them. So 
check it out. We got the whole team down there working and uh, cranking out a lot of good stuff. So make sure you check it out on uscfootball.com. Thanks again for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 